So today is Good Friday, and I'm not going to talk a lot specifically. I've done that a number of times talking about Good Friday. Uh, today is not Good Friday. Today's Palm Sunday. Let's pray and we'll be done. Because <laughs> I am out of control. I don't, you guys, I'm nervous. I don't know exactly why, but I'm just like getting crazy here. Today is, today is not Good Friday. It's Palm Sunday. And I've talked about Palm Sunday a number of times. I feel like sometimes I repeat myself so much, people are like, ugh, Palm Sunday again. So I, I want to come at it from a little different angle and uh, something that I, I, just a subject that I love. And I want to talk about, here we go. I want to talk about the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about a phrase. There's a phrase I came across years and years ago um, that a couple of uh, researchers that, that are very involved in researching the first century culture, especially around uh, Israel, uh, there was a phrase that was popular in those days and uh, is still somewhat popular now. And the phrase was, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow your rabbi so closely that the dust from his sandals gets on you. And it was this idea of being someone who studied and prayed and memorized scripture and taught and followed their rabbi as closely as possible. I think that's a beautiful illustration for us as we start thinking about following Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the kingdom of God that Jesus said he was bringing into existence, what I wanna talk about is the different ideas that were going around at that time and at this time, and how we can make it happen in our world, things that we're wrestling with even today. How can I be a person who follows Jesus Christ closely and is a part of bringing the kingdom, a part of bringing up there, down here? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, thy will be done, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying we should be actively praying that we would be involved in bringing the kingdom to earth right now. We need to be kingdom bringers. So I want to see the first thing. First thing is, and this is probably not going to surprise you that I think this, but bringing the kingdom is the world's greatest mission. It's the world's greatest mission. This is the most important thing you could be involved in. Now, we're going to look at some historical details and some cultural details because I love those kind of things. If you're surprised by that, you have not been attending here very long. Jesus goes home to the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth. And uh, scripture tells us about this, but we know, we know from, from, the, from uh, the Talmud that what they had was all the synagogues in Israel at that time, and still today, many, many uh, Orthodox synagogues do this, they had a reading schedule of the Word of God. And it was either a three-year schedule or a five-year schedule. It varied in different places. And what would happen is any adult, now don't hate me, ladies, this is them, not me, I don't don't shoot the messenger. Any adult male would be chosen and put, would be put on the schedule. And this wasn't something you were asked if you were, would do. This is something you were told you would do. You would, you would be told, this is your day, and here's the scripture that you're going to talk about. It's not a surprise. You can, you can plan ahead. And so what would happen is the male for that day would get up, they'd hand him a scroll, he'd read a part of the part of, 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 of Torah or of the, of the prophets that, that they had out, told him he was gonna read. Then he would sit down on the seat that was the teacher's seat. Remember when Jesus said, you sit in that seat and you don't know this? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that seat. And so they would sit down and they would give a short message of some sort. 
So Jesus goes because it's his turn to read. And we get this, uh, and this is what he reads. It's from Isaiah 61. So he goes back to Nazareth. He knows his day is coming to read scripture. And here's the scripture. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's the scripture. And then what do they do? Well, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. There's that seat. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now it says he began, he expounded on it, but Luke wants us to see that. He wants to see, Jesus just read this incredible passage. This is a messianic passage. This is a passage that tells about the coming king. This passage tells you how you will know the coming king. What will he be like? And they would hear a lot of messages on the Messiah in those days. There was a real fervor in Israel at that time there would be messages about this coming king. And so I did a little research, and uh, some of these things that we have from the first century have been saved, uh, intact, written down, especially through the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were a lot of, 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 other than just the Bible, there was a lot of biblical topics and things like this. And this is one, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. This is one that happened in a real synagogue around the time of Jesus, all right? The reading was, I delight greatly in the Lord, My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe, his robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is from Isaiah 61. This is another, this is part of the Messiah. And this is what the person who then sat down said. Seven garments the Holy One, blessed be he, has put on and will put on from the time of the world, world was created until the hour when he will punish the wicked. When he created the world, he clothed himself in honor and majesty. As it says in Psalm 104.1, thou art clothed in honor and majesty. And now he goes through, and he goes through seven different passages from the Old Testament where it talks about how God is clothed. It says, he says, um, <clears throat> he will clothe himself, the Messiah, he will clothe himself in red. For Isaiah 63 says, whoever art, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And so he just goes through this thing. And then he says this, Blessed is the hour when the Messiah will come. And his conclusion, blessed is the womb out of which he shall come. Blessed is contemporaries who are eyewitnesses of his arrival. Blessed is the eye that is honored with the sight of him for the opening of his lips is blessing and peace. His speech is a moving of spirits. The thoughts of his heart are confidence and cheerfulness. The speech of his tongue is pardon and forgiveness. His prayer is the sweet incense of offerings. His petitions are holiness and purity. Oh, how blessed is Israel for whom such has been prepared for. It says in Psalm 31, 19, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. And so this was a person talking about, how to, about the Messiah. And what I want you to understand is as we study scripture, we talk about this, try to put ourselves in their shoes. Messiah fervor was very high in Israel at that time. They felt like they were close. They felt... And, and they were right, they were close. They just weren't looking quite right. But there's this excitement, this anticipation. You know, blessed is when this Messiah comes. Blessed is the womb that bears him. Blessed are the eyes that see him, the ears that hear him. They talk about this. And Jesus reads, here's the signs of the Messiah, right? He says, 
It's happening. It's happening. And he's telling them. Now, he says four different things that we can see there. He talks about the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And these are metaphors. There's a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect to every one of these things. But they're describing how you will know the Messiah. So the first one I want you to see, he says, is the poor. He says in this passage, um, I'll get back to it. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So who are the poor? And this is what I love sometimes in studying this. Greek is a wonderfully uh, rich language. It has multiple uh, words for poor. But this one is patokes. It is a verb that originally meant to cringe, to hold back, to flinch, to kind of cower. And it became a word that was universally used for poor. It's the idea of a beggar. It means destitute. It means without any resources, someone who's at the end of their ability to, to flourish, to live life, right? So it can mean absolutely dirt poor, or it can mean someone who's at the end of it all, who is incredibly poor spiritually, emotionally. You know, it, it, it has a wide meaning that way. In relationships, it applies a lot in relationships. We see uh, this word being used in Revelation to the, to the uh, church at Laodicea. Because here's the thing that I think is interesting. Jesus is still, is still preaching good news to the poor. It's still going on. He wants to use us in that. But look what he says to the church of Laodicea. He says to them, you say I am rich. It was a very uh, rich and powerful city. You say, I am rich, I have grown wealthy, and I need nothing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Buy white garments so that you may be clothed and, and a salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. What is Jesus telling him? You think you're rich financially. He says, but this word, he says, you're poor. This word poor applies to more than just riches. He says, you are destitute. You are at your wit's end. You have nothing. And he says, I tell you, come buy from me. Come buy from me because this is what I give. This is what I give. And so he's, he's not talking this. He's clothing it in the idea of a financial transaction, but he's talking. What is he talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about a person who says, I've come to the end of my ropes, end of my wits. I realize I'm a sinner Jesus came, he lived, and he died for me, for my sins, and he offers me this salvation. I got nothing else. I come with nothing, God. I'll take it. I come with nothing. So it's the poor. The second is the captives or the prisoners. <clears throat> and release is this, this good news that he has come, the Messiah, to proclaim release. It's the idea, the Greek word there has this idea of forgiveness. It's a cancellation of a debt. And it's a cancellation of the penalties that come with that debt. You know, this is one of the key things. I'm reading a book on forgiveness right now, and I, it just is, it's a powerful book. It's, it's impacting me greatly. And one of the things is just realizing that when someone wrongs us, especially deeply and terribly, they've incurred a debt. They've incurred a debt. And so for me to say I want to forgive them, what does that mean? That means I'll take the debt. I'll shoulder the debt. I will do that. And so 
I look at myself and I think, you know, we sang about how faithful God was. And I, I couldn't help but think as we were doing it, God, I am so unfaithful to you. And you are so faithful to me. That's why we could sing in that last line, I've never met a love like this before. I've never been a love like this before. Because I'm unfaithful and he's still faithful. And so Jesus came to cancel the debt. Um, on the cross, we talked about this not too long ago, and we'll talk about it this Sunday, but even as you walk into my office, I have uh, just a little sign over the door of my office that says, to telestai. Jesus said, it is finished, telestai. To telestai is that word that means paid in full. The debt has been paid. So this is, he's preaching this to the captives. Then it says that he's, he's here to give sight to the blind, recovery of sight to the blind. What is that? Blindness at its very deepest most basic, being unable to perceive reality, being unable to perceive reality. And he says, I want you to be able to perceive what's real, which is more than just what you see with your eyes. And that's why I can remember saying to someone, I once was blind, but now I see. And they're like, wait, you, you had that vision? I said, no, I'm not talking. I'm talking about being able to receive, perceive reality. I was blind to what was going on around me. I was blind to things. And God gave me sight. He gave me sight. And then the last one is, he says he's going to release the oppressed. This is the downtrodden. This is the broken. This is the shattered. It's not just here the idea of a prisoner. It's someone who's overwhelmed by the pain of life, overwhelmed by relationships that are abusive or have been abusive, overwhelmed by illness, overwhelmed by whatever kind of troubles life can bring in our lives. And it's an endless list. I couldn't list it all. Every one of you is dealing with issues right now. I can't list them all. But these are the things he said, I want to bring release. Release for the afflicted person. Release to the distressed person who's lost all joy. This is the kind of person Jesus was talking to when he said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I have rest for you. I have that for you in the midst of what is difficult. And so Jesus stands before them. He says those four things. They have, this is something they've been hearing about all their lives, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm the kingdom bringer. And I'll prove it. I'm gonna do these things. It's me. Here we go. Put yourself in their shoes. He's in his hometown. Can you imagine what people are thinking? You, Mary's son of questionable parentage? We know you. Who do you think you are? We know you're special. But we didn't think you were that special. And we don't think you're that special. We know they reacted violently. They took him out to kill him. Because who is this man that's saying, I'm bringing in the kingdom? My kids were little. Remember Mr. Rogers? We would watch Mr. Rogers at times. He had a message. His message was, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Right? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm glad that you're you. I like you just the way you are. Won't you be my neighbor? That was his message. And see, a lot of people think Jesus is a lot like Mr. Rogers. He's this just really nice guy. 
saying nice things, that we all ought to be good neighbors. We ought to be good to each other. And some people think, kind of like you see sometimes in movies, that Jesus is kind of this ethereal dreamer who really isn't on this earth, who just walks around going, and so it will be, and stares up in heaven kind of weirdly, like nobody you've ever met. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. No one ever got mad, really mad at Mr. Rogers. No one said, I wish they'd get Fred Rogers and kill him. No one said that. They said that about Jesus. Because here's the difference. And I, and I love Fred Rogers. I mean, I, I loved it. I liked the message that it brought. But Jesus is dangerous. And they killed him because he was dangerous. He was dangerous to follow. The disciples hid for fear of their lives because they knew it was dangerous to follow him. Can I tell you, there's a good chance when you follow Jesus, it might be dangerous at times. When you get covered with the dust of your rabbi, you can become dangerous. When you take that step to commit your life to Jesus Christ, it can be dangerous. It doesn't always have to be, but it can be. And we have to understand that's what's involved in this. When you start forming this relationship with the God of the universe, there sometimes is a pushback. And Jesus talks about his mission. He makes it pretty clear. He says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, performing the good news, uh, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Up there is coming down here. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. He says, I was sent to bring it through my life, my teaching, and through my death. I am the kingdom bringer. And just just by talking about a kingdom, puts Jesus in trouble. Especially the Romans didn't like to hear this kind of stuff. And so when Jesus starts saying, I'm bringing in the kingdom, what were they thinking of? This is important for us. We've touched on this a number of times, but let's talk about this. Three false ideas about bringing the kingdom. See, because to them, God was going to come. He was going to set things right. Israel was going to be free. A descendant of David would sit on the front throne the temple would be cleansed, Jesus' enemies would be defeated, and all the nations would look at Israel in envy and awe as the blessed people of God, all right? That's what they're thinking. So where is it, and when is it going to come? Soon, Lord, soon. They, they were desperate for it. But they were at, in another kingdom at that time, right? I mean, they're in the kingdom of Rome, specifically the kingdom of Caesar. And to the Romans, Caesar was divine, they had slogans. This is one of them. There is no name under heaven by which men can be saved other than Caesar. Does that sound familiar? Here's another one. Caesar is Lord. And there were coins. How did, how did oftentimes did, did, did powerful people, especially Caesars and kings, communicate? They communicated through coinage. They would put things on coins because they knew that would go everywhere. They didn't have billboards, they didn't have radio stations, they didn't have all that stuff, but coins went everywhere. Here's, here's a coin from around Jesus' time, all right? This is a coin for Caesar Augustus, and uh, 
You, uh, you can't, it, it says, it says divi filius on that other side. What does that mean? Son of God. The divine son is, is what it's saying. This, and he was known as the son of God. And so, you know, no devout Pharisee or rabbi would even touch a coin like that. They would not let it touch their flesh because it was considered unclean. It was a, rep, it was a uh, representation and it said a blasphemous thing. And so they're thinking, where's the kingdom? How will it come? That was a, the, the talk of the day. Rabbis were always talking about that, addressing this question. So there was three main groups on what the kingdom would look like, ideas and groups. One is the zealots. I'll give them to you right now all at once. One is the zealots. The other is the Essenes and the Pharisees, very similar. And then the other is the Sadducees and the Herodians, who were also very similar. The, the zealots believed this. They believed the kingdom of God would come when people got mad enough to overthrow the Romans. They wanted political change, and their only way of doing it, they understood, was violence because there were no elections to vote anyone out. So the zealots were about violence. They, their way was the way of attack. Extreme nationalists, by any means necessary. So they were known for the Sicari assassins that they used to assassinate Romans. They were freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on which side you were on. How did Rome feel? They must be dealt with ruthlessly. Rome hunted zealots ruthlessly. Did Jesus know any zealots? Yes, he did. And so Jesus called Simon, who was called the zealot. He had a zealot in his disciples, one of his apostles. Think about this. How do you think Romans felt when they heard, oh yeah, one of his followers is a zealot? This is a problem. This is a problem. But this is what I love. Jesus didn't cater to the zealots. Listen to this, Matthew 8. Jesus said to him, a centurion, I will go and heal him, his servant. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following you, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. See, Jesus wasn't catering to the zealots because here he is, uh, saying, this man is awesome. Look at his faith. It's unbelievable. Now, who's going to be offended by that? The zealots, because they want to kill Romans. Remember uh, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's something you might hear Mr. Rogers say. But I'm going to tell you, you could go to any zealot's home you want, and you will not see a plaque that says, blessed are the peacemakers on their wall. Because they weren't for that. That was something that would have really bothered them. Or in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What is he talking about there? Here's what he's talking about. Whenever a Roman cohort was on the march, they had their equipment and they're moving, they could pick any bystander out and compel them to carry their pack for one mile. That was Roman law, but just one mile. And then they could pick someone else. You know, if they were quick enough they could, and stay up with their group, they could have someone carry their pack for miles and miles and miles, just keep switching them. And what does Jesus say? If someone compels you, go to. Go to. For a Roman. See, this is, Jesus is not catering to the zealots and their ideas. 
So the Romans have a problem with him because he's talking about kingdom and kings and zealots have a problem with him. And he's just, Jesus, I love it. He's an equal opportunity offender. So the zealots have it wrong. That's one of them. The zealots have it wrong. Attacking is not the answer. The kingdom will not come by force. There's a better way. The second group is the Essenes, all right, or the Pharisees. Uh, We know a lot about them through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, They were actually compiled by the Essenes and then hidden away out in the desert. That's why they stayed preserved for so long. And they were part of what was called the Qumran community. And they believed in withdrawal, withdrawal from society. Rome is corrupt. The temple's corrupt. We want to be pure. So we have all these regulations. Do not eat. Do not touch. Do not do this. Do not do that. Your dress, your hair, you know, your speech, everything. All these regulations that the Essenes and the Pharisees would follow. And the Pharisees were a part of that. And so what happened? Here's a great example of it. Many, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Levi, the tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Get the repeating there. Tax collector, sinner. Tax collector, sinner. They linked those together. Why? Because tax collectors were traitors. They sided with Rome. And the Jew, they betrayed their faith as Jews in, in the eyes of people. And so they're saying, you, you, you're not keeping clean like we do. Jesus touches the leper. Who's offended? Jesus allows a woman to wash his feet with her tears. Who's offended? The Pharisees, the Essenes. What is he doing? He's saying their way is wrong. The kingdom of God is not about withdrawing into your own little subculture. The kingdom of God is going out and being other-oriented. Up there, comes down here. It doesn't happen the way the Pharisees want it to happen. The final one is the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits. They kind of had this idea, yeah, we think there's a God. The first five books is the only five that we look at, but... uh, but basically, this is your only shot at life. You ever have somebody tell you that? This is your only shot at life. You better take care of yourself and do, as, do what you can, serve you. There's all kinds of ways of saying that that are floating around right now. And so, get what you can. So, people who were Sadducees were often uh, worked for Rome. Some became tax collectors. They were collaborators. They got all the important religious positions because they would do what Rome said. Herod appointed them to be high priests and and they were the chief priests and they ran the temple and it was a big business and it was all about power and money. Why? Because they don't, don't worry about, there's no afterlife. What you can get here and now, just make do. Get, get get, Get while the getting's good. And so we come upon this little story I just want to look at real quick. The Herodians and the Pharisees, they try to trap Jesus because he's dangerous. You know, no one tried to trap Mr. Rogers. No one, okay, Mr. Rogers, what do you mean by neighbor? Nobody did that. But here's what we see going on here, which is very interesting because the Pharisees suddenly are uniting with the Sadducees. They both hate Jesus because he's denying them both what they think should be how the kingdom happens. 
And so it says, they sent their disciples, this, uh, they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Do you, do you get a little bit of an insincerity here? Right? You are so awesome. You ever had somebody come up to you and start talking about it? You ever had somebody come up to you and they just are kind of complimenting you and saying, and then suddenly they say something else and you go, whoa, what's going on here? Are you playing me? Right? And Jesus knows right away. He knows right away. And, and, and they're talking about something that was big in their day. Talking about taxes. Now, taxes were a huge deal then, not like today, when people happily pay and April 15th is a holiday. Taxes was an explosive issue. It was very explosive. Why? Because they taxed at a super high rate. Lots and lots. We know during that time, lots of Jews lost their land because they couldn't afford to pay the taxes. And it was a way, a way Rome just brought into himself corrupt officials getting things for themselves. And so it's a very explosive issue. When Jesus was a boy, probably around 12, maybe 13, 13, a man named Judas of Galilee led a tax, basically a tax revolt against Rome. And in the Galilee, they estimate 2,000 men were crucified on the same day. And it was Rome's way of saying, this is what we do to people who don't pay their taxes. This is how Rome reacts. So it's a powerful, powerful thing. So here's what's going on. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, then the people will hate him. If Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then Rome has a cross for him. And so they are thinking, you know, we got him. This is perfect. And what does it say? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. He said, first, let's address something. You're hypocrites. You just told me all that nice stuff, and you don't believe it. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what is God's. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, this is not a tax revolt, but Caesar is not God. He says, that's where the stand is. The stand isn't taxes. That's not where I'm taking my stand. The stand is this. Caesar is not God. I am. I am. He goes, there's the crux of the matter. There's what the kingdom is all about. Jesus is saying anyone who allows money and power to dominate their life, anyone who in that sense bows down to these coins, they're missing the kingdom of God. Who doesn't like that? The Sadducees, because that's what they're about. So there's three groups. One group gets mad, hates, and attacks. One group withdraws, tries to be very pure, and tells the rest of the world to go to hell. And one is all about me, and what can I get? The, for, the, for the Sadducees, it's like, I can be religious. Sure, I can be religious if it profits me, if it makes me feel good, if it gives me what I want. See, it's me, me, me. And it's that way with all of them. That's three ideas about the kingdom of God that Jesus is going to correct. 
The third point, the last point, the key to bringing the kingdom is love. So here we go. The Romans are wrong. Caesar's not Lord. There's another kingdom. It's real. It's breaking into this earth through me, Jesus is saying. Attacking, anger, violence, that's not the way. Withdrawal, that's not the way. Compromise, that's not the way. And it's still going on today. Our culture wants us to to buy into those ideas that we would attack or that we would withdraw or that we would give up and give in. And Jesus says, no, I'm the way. Up there is coming down here. Through me, through my life, my teaching, my death on the cross for forgiveness of sins, my, my defeat of death and my resurrection. There's this new community. They're kingdom people. And what strange people he chooses. Just look around. Just look in a mirror. He says, Simon, I choose you. You're a zealot. You hate Romans and you hate tax collectors. Matthew, you're a tax collector. I choose you. You two guys are rooming on trips, right? You should have some interesting talks. Nicodemus, you're starting to follow me, but you're still learning. You're a Pharisee. You've got the right purity, the right religion, the right pedigree. I want you to meet this Samaritan woman that I met at the well. She has the wrong gender, the wrong race, the wrong religion, the wrong sexual history. She's impure. You two are going to be in the same small group. This will be great, right? This is the people he chooses. He chooses people like me. And you. And he says, here's our strategy. Here's our strategy. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says, okay, guys, here's the deal. We got no money. We got no power. We got no connections. We got no status. We have no buildings and we have no soldiers. Perfect. We're going to take over the world. Things are going exactly as planned. The people who love Rome, the attackers and the withdrawers are all going to tell them they're all wrong and they'll get angry and sometimes they may hate us and call us names and throw us in prison and even some might be killed for it. And we won't back down and we won't give in and we won't get bitter. We'll just keep loving them. We will just Keep loving. And when they hit, we'll turn the other cheek. When they make us walk a mile, we'll walk two miles. And we'll keep loving them and inviting them into our community. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to stay close to Jesus. May you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. And we have to understand this is dangerous. You may hear sometimes on TV, in other places, people telling you about what the Bible says. And I, I, I'm sorry, some of them are not telling you the truth. Where do we get this idea that following Jesus would make our lives safe and successful? Not from the Bible. Not from the Bible. It doesn't mean your life won't be safe. It doesn't mean your life won't be successful. It means this. It is not necessarily what I expect. I understand when I follow Jesus what's involved. Sometimes it's not safe. Sometimes it might not be successful. 
the kingdom of God is not just about heaven and a nice life way out there. It's about bringing it down here right now and becoming a part of the greatest mission in the world to change the world one person at a time. Not the zealot way. The world doesn't need another church that is condemning and content to just let people go to hell. Not through withdrawal. The world doesn't need another church that starts their own little club of churchy activities and programs and exclusive relationships only with their people. Doesn't need that. The world doesn't need Christians who are co-opted by the world and deceived into living just for themselves or for their, their family. The world doesn't need that. The world needs people who are other-focused, who are willing to take Jesus seriously and willing to love. And when we do that, it's a tiny echo of God's heart for them. When we see the homeless person or we have an arrogant, unethical boss, or an ungrateful employee, or a nasty neighbor, or a suicide bomber, or someone who just, those, I call them EGRs, extra grace required, just to not hit them, right? How do we love them? We need Jesus. We need Jesus to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in knowing him and growing in him. And we need to have the dust of our rabbi on us so that when people see us, they say, you've been with Jesus. I can tell. I can tell. You know, I know I can, I can close, and some people are thinking, whoa, that was kind of heavy. And we're afraid I'm going to walk out of here and people are going to start hitting me or what. No. We just know, though, that it's a possibility that we may be persecuted for our faith. It's just, it's a possibility. It happens. It's happening much worse. We are not being persecuted. It's happening in other parts of the world where people, other world where people are giving up their lives for the cause of Christ. And what will we do about it? Well, the one thing we can do about it is we can share with other people. We can live like Christians with other people and begin to affect the world as it spreads out and goes just exponentially. That's what God has called us to do, one person at a time. He hasn't called, as far as I know, he hasn't called any of us to be Billy Graham, but he has called us to go to places and work and affect people's lives at work and affect people's lives in our neighborhood and in our home. And that's something we can do. I would encourage you even, um, if you have someone that you, you think about and you, 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 you think, man, I, I'd love to talk to that person. An easy way to do it is just tell them, hey, you know, I go to church and Easter's kind of a big deal. Why don't you come to church with me, Easter? Just come check out, you know, First Church. It's got this weirdo that gets up there and acts strange and says things that are <laughs> weird. And they, and they might, oh, I love weirdos, and they'll come, you know. I'd encourage you to be thinking about it. Because, you know, a lot of times if someone will come to church, it's usually something big like Easter or Christmas or something like that where they'll go, okay, you know, this is kind of something our, our culture does. I'll go. And I encourage you to think about that and pray about it. Maybe God will bring somebody uh, to your mind. In the meantime, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus as we watch him and see this incredible love that breaks barriers, that breaks cultural norms. 
Help us to be those kind of people. God, our culture is telling us how we're supposed to be. It's telling us how we're supposed to hate people who don't think like us, talk like us, don't come from where we come from, whatever it is. God, help us to break those cultural boundaries and be people who change, who bring the kingdom down to earth. And Lord, we understand. We understand that sometimes difficulty can be a part of that. But help us also to remember we have a good, good father. That's who you are. And we are loved. That's who I am. Help us to remember that as we go out. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to worship this morning. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.